0: wise on the show tonight why you can answer this question did we need walt disney to bring us cinderella why didn't real life present it well maybe because real life doesn't present cinderella very often boo, boo! some hard truths have to be faced on the show tonight it is sunday march 19th the year of our lure 2023 we are jam-packed atop a boisterous downtown nashville tennessee bcj Is here tonight for you. Bad cop, Josh. I don't like to do it. It's only a few times a year I throw this hat on. But I am back because the whacked out college basketball, college football comparisons are back. And I'm not going to tread right back over the same ground we covered the other day. No, I've got entirely new ground to cover for you, by you tonight. We've got four sleeper programs. I think at least two of them you will not see coming from a mile away. In fact, go ahead and gather in your mind. If I were to sit here right now and give you four sleeper programs, not teams, programs, whomst would they be? You may not be able to guess any of them. I guarantee you, you won't guess at least two of them. We got the Georgia Mood Tracker on the show tonight. Some interesting things going on in Athens. And I got someone out there, in fact, many people, You were just going to use one of you to speak for many, flat out doubting Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. How dare you? How dare you all attack him like this? Well, you're doing it, and so I will respond accordingly tonight. They're watching us in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, Coatesville, Pennsylvania. You ever been there, Jesse? Coatesville is tuned in. Shriver, Louisiana. Augusta, Georgia. Thank you so much for watching. Small programming note before we dive into tonight's jam-packed show. We're going to do a live show on Tuesday. Why? Not because we're scared of the NCAA tournament. But because, um, quite frankly, I just think it's good business. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the Thursday show, and we're just going to do it live on Tuesday. And then we will drop the Late Kick Extra podcast on Thursday. So what you normally would have gotten on Thursday, you'll get on Tuesday. And what you normally would have gotten on Tuesday, you'll get on Thursday. The real ones know exactly what I mean. And if you're new around here, just stay tuned. It'll make sense to you in due time. And uh, one more little programming note since we already had people asking about it in the live chat, this is probably the last show I'm going to offer this. <laughs> An offer, like we're doing you a favor. If you would like to do us a favor, and you want to take the sparkly survey that Jesse put together, hit us up, latekicksurvey at gmail.com. We've gotten a couple of hundred of respondents already, and it's, just, we, it's feedback we want from our pretty hardcore viewers and listeners, uh, because this is how we like to format our show in the fall. We don't like to listen to consultants. God forbid, we listen to management. And so we would like to listen to you and we will stack the show based on how you would like the show to be stacked. All right, that's it. Let's dive in. I think it's probably time for the earliest recorded chalice sip in the history of the show. There we go. Because it's happening again. It's happening again. Uh, I told you, Told you, don't tell me that you weren't warned that these kinds of takes were coming. I warned you two weeks ago, March Madness is coming. And so a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to have great entertainment. I love the NCAA tournament. And you're also going to have just off the wall, beyond insane takes about how this could be college football and when a 15 upsets a two, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying you didn't believe me, but if you did need some proof, here we go. If you're listening on podcast, count your many blessings. If you're unfortunate enough to be watching the screen right now, here is a small, and I mean a small sample size of what I've been dealing with. We had one in our midst say that uh, Furman, Princeton, you know, these big upsets we've had so far, they are prime evidence for the expansion of a D1 college football playoff. It's already happening, so I guess it's, it's to back what's going to happen. And then we had someone else chime in. Love me some March Madness. I do too. You could have stopped the sentence there. We would have been fine. But they continued. I can't wait for this to be in college football. A 12 seed taking down a one seed is going to be so awesome. Remember the rule. Remember the rule that Mima taught us once upon a generation ago. It is not automatic proof that you're a casual if you say something dumb. Because as Meemaw used to tell me all the time, casuals never say smart things. Smart people sometimes say casual things. These are probably smart people just saying casual things. It's a hall pass. Um, we've we've got to issue a reprieve, whatever we've got to do, but it happened, okay? There it was on the screen. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you tonight if you feel that way. I'm not talking to you about changing your mind on expansion. It doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. It's going to happen, I do want to pull you back down to earth a little bit if you think that playoff expansion is going to yield some of these results. You know, these, uh, dare I say, Cinderella, who am I looking at? Dare I say, Cinderella's? You're going to get a Cinderella in college football, huh? Well, let's, let's do ourselves a favor. Let's ignore the total, logically bankrupt approach of comparing football to basketball. We could hammer that like a pinata, Let's put that off to the side. I think most of us understand how ludicrous it is to look at college football, college basketball and say, well, if it works in one, it works in the other. I don't think we want to see a round football. I don't think we want to see football played on hardwood. We get the point there. (sighs) What did Furman do? Let's just use Furman, Virginia. What did Furman do? Well, Josh, I'll tell you what they did. A 15 seed took down a two seed. It's a monumental upset. No, it's not. It's really not. I know what it looks like on that piece of paper that's probably destroyed that you call a bracket. I know what it looks like. In my world, I don't really care about the seeding so much. Here's what I care about. Paper pop. Furman against Virginia. What do you think the point spread was on that game? 20, 30, try five and a half. Five and a half. That was the underdog in Furman. So what kind of monumental upset got pulled there? Now, if you wanted to equate what happened in that basketball game and you wanted to use the numbers guys over here in the basketball world and equate what happened there to the numbers in the college football world, that would be like a a Utah State playing a Georgia or or Alabama or something like that. They would be a five to six touchdown dog, and Georgia or Obama would name the score as they painted the walls with Utah State's blood. Utah State would be able to do nothing about it because there is something that exists in football that doesn't exist in basketball. And that is the ability... And the freedom to hurt people, to physically impose your will on someone. I'm not telling you basketball is not physical. I watched Maryland Bama last night just like you did, but it's not a football game. It's not, it's not picking up people and moving them against their will. They don't let you do that. That's a whistle in basketball, and football a little bit different. So again, I'm not here to explain to you the differences between the two, but I do want to remind you... The margins in these sports, the margins in what you call an upset in one versus what an upset would be, the caliber of that in the other are galaxies apart, just galaxies apart. So that one's pretty easy to undress. But I know where the argument goes from there. That's not the end of the segment because the argument then sounds something like this. No, 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 no. I know that Furman's not going to make the college football playoff. I just mean in general, you know, in general, it'll be really good if a 12 knocks off a one. Because we'll have a Cinderella story in college football. Um, They'll get a shot. You know, a 12 seed. Josh, won't it be great if a 12 seed ever knocks off a one seed? I just want a format where the 12 seed gets a shot. That's what I want. Never mind the fact that that 12 seed has probably lost a quarter of their games. You're probably looking at a three loss team minimum. Never mind that. Great. Lose a quarter of your games. You get a shot anyway. Why? I don't know. Because someone said you deserve it. Who's the 12 seed? This is going to hit you a little close to home. I don't think a lot of you are going to like how this goes because I know what you're talking about right now. I know what you're picturing. You're picturing the little guy. You're picturing the upstart. When you say 12 seed instead of one, two, three, or four, you're thinking about a Cinderella. You're thinking about a Dark Horse, one of those G5s. You're not thinking about LSU, are you? You're not thinking about an LSU team that's loaded with talent that gets banged up. Maybe their quarterback gets hurt early in the year. Uh, Just because of the treacherous schedule they play, they lose two or maybe three games. Let's say nine and three LSU is there. They don't even go to Atlanta. They don't play for the SEC championship. And in a bygone era, their playoff hopes would have long since faded well before Thanksgiving. But in the new world, uh uh-oh, what is that? That's a sliver of light. Someone left the door open. And here comes nine and three. Wait for it, wait for it. SEC LSU. And then LSU or someone of their ilk gets healthy, like those teams that have a little more depth than you tend to do later in the year, especially if you give them a little time. And the far more likely scenario than a Utah State or even a Utah ever making a run as a 12 seed is one of those Big Ten teams doing it, one of those SEC teams doing it. Now, here is the difference between the expansionist hopefuls out there and the group of people behind the curtain that are making this happen. They don't care. Let me be very, very clear. As much as you may care about parity, and as much as you may care about inclusion and adding new seats to the table and evening about the recruiting landscape, they couldn't give a crap less. I know because I've listened to the talk. Here's what they wanted. They wanted more seats at the table for themselves. They didn't ever want to seat at the table for you. They didn't ever want to seat at the table for the folks who weren't already in the room. They had to convince you of that to get you to go along with it because they they needed a certain level of public sentimental support, which they got. But where you'll find out they suckered you and where I know they suckered a lot of you is listening to some of these people talk behind the scenes. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you the names. Uh, I'm going to keep it very, very... Uh, cloaked in secrecy as to who said this, but there is someone who was not only intimately familiar with, but outright involved in this process, who I know to have said the following within the last few months. And someone someone asked them, are you really going to make these kids play 17 games? And you want to know what their response was? <laughs> this is not a joke. Their response was, well, The only way that they would need to play 17 games is if one of the lower-seeded teams actually went all the way and won the title, and we don't plan on those teams winning the title. Let me repeat that, if it just kind of buzzed in one ear and out the other. They wanted to expand the playoff, why? To more fairly determine a champion... But they are, that's out in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, they they are just readily admitting amongst themselves, oh, the lower seeds are going to get smashed. They're never going to actually make the title game. So a lot of these folks yelling about how they're going to have to play 17 games, moot point, moot point, it'll never get to that. And you know what? They're probably right. And in the process, if they're wrong, and one of those lower seeded teams does make it, ain't going to be who you think. We're watching Tulane here. We just saw App State. It's not going to be them. It's going to be an LSU. It's going to be a once upon a time banged up Penn State that gets healthy. And you're going to watch that playoff and you're going to say, huh, this just seems like a lot more of the same thing that I used to see that I thought this was going to change. And then comes the hammer. That's when they drop the hammer on you. And what does the expansionist argument revert to? Josh, oh, you simple minded host, you it's not about crowning a new champion. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's just about a more exciting product. And then they think they've got you. So they just, I yield back the balance of my time. And I look around and I say, wait, you mean like everyone had coast to coast, no matter their record until about 10 minutes ago, when somehow part of the college football public allowed themselves to be convinced the only way that excitement could enter the room is if playoff implications were on a game? Same folks, by the way, who suckered you into thinking that are the ones who are suckering you into thinking the 12 team format will produce the Cinderella. But I digress. I know you want Cinderella's. I know you want that. Okay. I wanted to eat popcorn and pixie sticks every meal of the day when I was a child. But someone had to walk in the room eventually with a spoonful of carrots and open up, open up. There you go. It wasn't fun. It was an unenviable position to be in, just like the one I'm in right now. But someone has to let you know how this is going to go. It's very fun to watch this stuff happen in March. You are never going to watch this happen in college football. For a million different reasons, I just tried to give you a million and one tonight. It's not going to happen. And you can bookmark this. You can save it as long as you want to. I have never felt more confident in telling you, you will not see a Cinderella run in the college football playoff. You may see a lower seated team make a run, but it won't be a Cinderella. It won't, it, it'll be the same great big ogre that you've always come to know and hate, who got a skinned knee early in the year, or who tripped and fell and was off pace in your own format. Your own Cinderella-yielding format. What did it actually do? It actually opened the door for the ogres to crush any of the potential Cinderellas, even if they did happen to make their way in. So that's the world we live in. Take it or leave it. Please take it. I don't want you to leave, but I don't want you to be disappointed either 10 years down the road when you've just gotten a bunch of the same old, same old. Next up, fun, fun lead off to the show tonight. I'm sure everyone is in such great spirits after that, but you will be the rest of the show because I do have good news. I hold in my hand four sleeper programs. Someone asked me, Miles hit me earlier today. He said, give me a few sleeper programs you have your eye on from Kalamazoo, Michigan. And Miles, in classic fashion, I want to over-deliver, so I'm going to give you four. And the first one is Texas Tech. How many of you are paying attention? Judging by the numbers, not many of you, but I've been paying attention to Texas Tech for you. You know, in the Big 12, Texas and OU were about to leave. We know that. This is their last year, as a matter of fact. And it, it's sneaking up on us pretty quick. So if we're talking about a sleeper program, we're talking about more than just a team that could shine this coming fall. We're talking about teams that are positioned pretty well. I think Texas Tech is about as well positioned as any sleeper program out there could be. Because not only are OU and Texas about to leave the conference, that didn't bother them, frankly, when they were in the conference last year. They beat OU in Texas. First time since when? First time ever in the history of that program that they beat OU in Texas. In the same year, Joey Maguire's got a lot of people excited out there. Did you know they had a top 30 recruiting class this past cycle? They are rated number 12 right now, albeit very early in this 2024 cycle. Got a top 15 rated class this upcoming cycle. They have tons of love. Love Joey Maguire. They love the moves they made there. Really, really good puzzle piece kind of culture fit. They were eight and five last year. Okay, that's already their best record since 2013. They had a top 30 offense, and they returned 75% of the production from that. So they may very well be a high-level team this year, but I don't think it's just a one-hit wonder. I don't think it's a let's build and invest everything in 2023. I think Texas Tech is set up to really do some big things, and the question that a lot of folks are asking out there is, what is the post-Sooners, Longhorn, Big 12 going to look like? And I there's going to be a lot of oxygen in the room. That's the answer. Someone or maybe a few someones are going to suck that oxygen up for themselves. And I would not be shocked at all if Texas Tech was that program or one of those programs. Now, I don't know how to responsibly say what I'm about to say, but the next team I have written down on this piece of paper is not going to make sense to you. So I'm warning you ahead of time. You're about to call me an idiot. And rarely do I see that coming. But in this case, I see it coming. So I'm going to need you to do me a favor. I'm going to need you to listen to the team I'm about to say. And then I'm going to need you to give me like a 45-second grace period before you start yelling. Iowa is a sleeper program. You promised me you'd keep quiet for 45 seconds. So let me do my thing here. 94th in returning production this year. Uh, 49% of that defensive production return. So a lot of it's out the door. They lost Riley Moss, Jack Campbell. They were top 15 defensively in every category last year. Well, Josh, what are you doing? So far, you've just convinced me they're going to be worse this year. Oh, it gets better. Uh, They were 130th in yards per game offensively. Josh, okay, you're telling me defensively they won't be as good. Offensively, they sucked water through a garden hose last year. How is this a sleeper program? I think there's going to be staff change there eventually. That's what makes it a sleeper program. See what's happened at Wisconsin? You see what's happened at Nebraska? Nebraska? I think it's going to happen at Iowa. Kirk Ferentz has been there a long time. I got folks who are well into their college years who are listening to or watching this show who weren't born when Kirk Ferentz took the job at Iowa. It's been there a long time. It's been a really good run. I think the next chapter of the Big Ten is going to require teams like Iowa to hire a higher caliber head coach. One that's more built for where the sport is now and where the sport is going. And I am, its not a hot seat segment, nothing like that. But the reason I think Iowa is a sleeper program is because when that change happens, if they get it right, I think the program could fly really, really high. And I think that some of that television money that's been pumped into the conference has gone a long way in fueling the decision-making, the hiring decision-making at places like Nebraska, bringing in Matt Rule at places like Wisconsin, bringing in Luke Fickle. I think that the conference as a whole has as a collective understanding that we've got to be more aggressive. We've got to have higher-profile head coaches, higher-caliber head coaches, higher-caliber staffs. They don't have that at Iowa. Point blank, they don't have that there right now. I think they may in the future. If and when that happens, that's why I classify Iowa as a sleeper program. So... Some mental gymnastics, I'll grant you that, but I think that they do have a sleeper up there. It's not hard to picture Iowa contending. They've already done it. It's just that I'm not sure the current iteration of Iowa football is conducive to thinking that's about to happen again. Okay, now we get get more back up on a path that at least you can follow me on. I think if we go to the SEC, there's a program in the West, the SEC West, that's a sleeper program. And that's Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss is very much a sleeper program. Now, they've taken a different approach to talent acquisition. You and I have been talking about this lately. We, I had Jesse the other day say they've kind of taken a UCLA of the South approach. And what he means by that, for those of you who haven't been following recruiting or the portal – is Ole Miss does not sign top fifteen, top ten recruiting classes. That's not the way that they are getting the job done. What they are done, or what they are doing, at least what they have done, is they've signed top ten portal classes. Number two portal class in 2022, number six portal class so far in 2023. And also, I'm talking about the future here with Ole Miss. They've been doing really, really well in the present. They are. They've had 18 wins over their past two years. That's tied for the second most since the early 60s. They've been doing really, really big things. I think a lot of folks overlook that accomplishment because they started so fast and then they fizzled down the stretch this past year, which I understand. So the, the, the first thing is the talent acquisition part is, I think, a little overlooked. The second is Lane Kiffin continues to bring what should be a quality batch of quarterback talent to choose from on campus. They've got three of them up there right now that they very well could win with. And then the other part is he had the Auburn job. Lane Kiffin had the Auburn job. If he wanted it, it was his and he turned it down for whatever reasons. I'm not really interested in discussing that tonight, whatever reasons were on the table. So if I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm looking at all the above and then I'm looking at the fact that, Hey man, our guy's still here and it's, Not just, it's not just a passing attack. And this is another thing that I think a lot of folks just flat out misunderstand about Lane Kiffin. Because you may not watch a lot of Ole Miss football. You think Lane Kiffin and you think clipboard flying through the air because there's a wide open receiver down the field end zone because most of your minds work in highlight. Unless you're just watching every game. That is not Ole Miss. That can be Ole Miss, but that has not been Ole Miss. They were the number three rushing offense in the country last year. In the country, all of them in the country, they had uh, the number six explosive play rate. So they were explosive play after explosive play, but it was on the ground. So they've shown the ability to carve you up offensively in a number of different ways. I think they're a sleeper program. And the last one, and I I don't think anyone could see where I'm going with this one. Frankly, Iowa was way off the radar. But what if I told you, what if I told you The University of Arizona is a sleeper program. Not necessarily to win the Pac-12 this year as we look at the odds on the screen. I think Arizona under Jet Fish. I'm going to whisper so no one finds out. Just be our secret. Sleeper program. Five wins last year. Not that impressive, right? Yeah, well, it is when you know the over-under win total was two. Yes, they more than doubled up on that. That is very impressive. They went and got Jaden Deloria and the transfer portal at quarterback they had the most wins as a result since 2018. They were top 10 offensively last year in pass yards per game, explosive plays. They were top 20 in total yardage. They lacked badly on defense in terms of depth. They lacked, and they'll probably lack again over there. You got to understand we're working on different metrics. We're working on a different scale. Okay. If, if Florida was dealing with the issues that Arizona was dealing with, I wouldn't be calling Florida a sleeper. Arizona has not done anything of note in recent history. And so when I look at where they were, which was the bottom of the barrel out in the Pac-12, and then I look at the fact that they they were recruiting in the 50s, 60s, 70s, all of a sudden last two classes, 22, they had two top 40 classes for Arizona. One of those was top 25, by the way. For Arizona, it's a good sign. So Texas Tech, Iowa, Ole Miss, Arizona, those are my sleeper programs right now. It's not an exhaustive list, so I'll be sure to look down in the comments, and I, I guarantee you, you probably submit some names that I wish I would have put in there, but just, we, we'll keep an eye on them. We'll keep it, I i should never, when we do sleeper anything, I should never look at the live chat, Ever. Uh, I got a big shipment the other day in from our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors. It's, it's softball related. Don't worry about it. But I also would encourage you guys, I don't really care what sport it is you're out there playing. I don't really care what activity it is you're partaking in. If it involves the outdoors, and in some cases, even if it involves the indoors, Academy Sports and Outdoors, the place to be. Well, what if I can't get there in person? Don't worry. Academy.com has you covered. The end. That's the only other question you could have asked me. The end. Do they have tents? Of course they do. Do they have grills? Yes, they do. Do they have bats and balls? Sure. Basketball hoop? Yeah. Fishing equipment? Check. They got it all. Academy Sports and Outdoors makes this show free to you, and they've also got everything that you could ever need, Uh, knowing our audience like I think I do, just in your day-to-day life period. I mean, most of us live pretty similar lives, and you would be shocked at the supply that they have there. Wide range of supplies i challenge you if you've never been in academy i don't care if you don't buy anything go in there and be amazed at the selection all right we've got questions hope to have answers one day but right now we've just got questions take a little sip out of the chalice the only the only certainty in college football right now the chalice of choice liquids i see you jesse i know what you're doing yeah i'll do it okay i'll do it before i start this um so Jesse's, Jesse's put together the survey, and in return, he is asking for you to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Personally, I could take it or leave it, but Jesse needs it. Jesse needs you. Not me. I'm not begging you. Producer Jesse is begging you in my ear, through my mouth. Please like the video, subscribe to the channel. Good enough, Jesse? Yes. Okay, we move on. Have you realized how much movement has gone on in the transfer portal? We've had three solid shows now where we've done a ton of questions, and I'm going to do at least one more here, and I'm going to have some pretty heavy hitters. Uh, These questions will go a long way in deciding this year's national championship race, multiple conference championship races. The first one is that wide receiver room at Georgia, which wasn't anything to write home about last year, but they lost A.D. Mitchell. A.D. Mitchell, if you haven't been keeping score, departed for Texas. Now, they did not go without responding at Georgia. Uh, Kirby Smart went and got Ra Ra Thomas out of Mississippi State. He got Dominic Lovett out of Missouri. Those were the respective leading receivers on those teams last year. Lovett was a top 10 portal guy regardless of position. So they lost A.D. Mitchell. Also, they are replacing a quarterback up there in Stetson Bennett. Once upon a time, we did not think that would be a major storyline, but things changed. Stetson Bennett proved people wrong, myself included. And now that is a gaping hole that you have to fill. Carson Beck, probably the guy to do it. They've already started spring practice at Georgia. I will be very interested because they are also replacing a coordinator. They elevated Mike Bobo to replace Todd Munkin. So these are not necessarily headline grappers. That's not that's not front-page news on CBSports.com, but it's it's a big deal. If you understand what we're talking about here, that's a very, very big deal. Down in Miami. It's not even one position, although you could say line of scrimmage, I guess. But they lost 17 kids to the portal. Now, Miami fans, since they're already yelling it, I'll go ahead and tell them, hold on a second. I'll say it so you don't have to. They were bad last year. So anytime you're bad, our general rule around here is it's not automatically a terrible thing if you have a bunch of folks hitting the exit door. Miami's not the first place to deal with this. Arkansas seeing it right now, and they won't be the last. They added high-quality kids from the portal, along with a really, really highly-rated recruiting class. But a few of them, like Javion Cohen, offensive lineman out of Alabama, he was highly-rated in the portal regardless of position. Matt Lee's an offensive tackle. Uh, Dean, defensive lineman. Uh, Devontae Brown, Like these are all guys with a 90-plus rating next to their name. That's a four-star or higher rating. And then you couple that with the haul they just brought in, in just traditional recruiting, and you start to wonder, or at least I do. Maybe my mind works different than some of you. But I start to wonder, okay, I think they're going to improve this year. I don't think Miami's going to be, what, 5-7, and seven, I think is what their record is. I don't think they're going to be a five-win team. But I wonder how much they could improve. And I wonder that about a few of these teams. Miami's one of them, though. And then I start to think about last year and what the problems were. And then I think about the offense, you know, with Tyler Van Dyke. It's kind of a jump all over the place thing with Miami. And you you think about how they were either a favorite or co-favorite to win their division. Tyler Van Dyke was a guy that was preseason, all fill-in-the-blank team in the ACC, according to various publications. And it just didn't happen. They had Broyles Award winner Josh Gaddis as their offensive coordinator. It never happened. It never panned out. So they've made some moves. A lot of moves, actually. And I don't necessarily know that we should expect the immediate spark out of the gate. Could be wrong there. But this is going to be a year-long thing to watch because here's the the one silver lining of only winning five games is you don't have to go that far to go up. You know, you ain't win seven games this year and it's an improvement. Plus you make a bowl game. I think it may be in the cards, though, for them this year. See, I have not punted on Tyler Van Dyke and his ability to be a high-level quarterback. It's just that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he may still be, for all I know, it won't be improved. I just happen to think it's going to be a much more enviable position for him to be in this year than it was last year. What about Colorado? Speaking of programs that are just totally overhauling everything, everyone's got an opinion on where this is going to go. You know, a few minutes ago, we started the show, and I told you, or I showed you that I had warned you that a lot of really, really bad faith arguments were going to be coming your way from people who were comparing March Madness and college football. College basketball, college football comparisons are always stupid. There's some stupid stuff being said about Colorado, too, and it's just started. Okay, That's the crowd that hangs around the trough the entire year. Imagine the casuals who only come back come fall, because they're going to repeat the same dumb stuff that you're hearing Some full-season casuals talk about right now, and it's stuff like Deion's overrated. They won't even make a bowl game. Like, that's supposed to be an insult to a team that won one game last year. They could improve 400%, but because they didn't make a bowl game, I told you they were overrated. But this is about the transfer portal and questions about the transfer portal. Remember what we were talking about this time last year. Lincoln Riley had just gone to USC, and he had done something we had never seen before. It was the first pretty much total overhaul in the portal era, and they nearly won the Pac-12 championship. They were in the playoff hunt late in the year out there. Certainly not what I think is in the cards for Colorado this year, but something unexpected could happen in terms of result because the overhaul they've had is that radical at Colorado. And they have the number one portal class in the country. They brought in really dynamic players. Travis Hunter's out there. Shadur Sanders is out there. They, they got DeMoy Kennedy. He's just a, a random four-star linebacker from Alabama. High four-star linebacker. I don't think that you will... I don't think a lot of folks have also followed the staff they put together. Dion put together a really good staff. Uh, which is not something that we rate in the transfer portal, obviously, but nobody knows how big the spark will be, including me. I have confidence it'll be a big one, but they go from 1 and 11 to what? If it's 3 and 9, if it's 4 and 8, they got a tough schedule, uh, that will be a remarkable improvement. And then anything above and beyond would be borderline miraculous. But I keep going back to the Lincoln Riley thing, and the more I think about it, the more I've come to think, that maybe we'll, we'll just have one of those stories every year to varying degrees. Maybe there will be some, at least one place every year where they hire a new coach and that coach just goes crazy in the transfer portal because they know that the leash is a lot shorter and they are expected to win immediately and there's desperation and the portal's there to use and they just go get this massive influx of talent and they overturn like 40% of their roster overnight. There will be some version of that pretty much every year. And it was USC last year. I think it's going to be Colorado this year. And let's see how it works out. And keep in mind, although they've already got the number one portal class in the country, we are not done, guys. We still have spring practice and then the the 15-day post-spring portal window, which I believe, Jesse, check this for me, even though we won't have time tonight. I think it's the 1st of May. I think it's like the first 15 days of May. So it's coming right after spring is the point. And uh, the last one I wanted to talk about here is really two teams. And this is going to be a game this year that I think a lot of the country will have their eyes focused on for the first time in a long time. And that's Florida State-Clemson. The game happens in week four, okay? FSU, number three portal class in the country. Clemson, nowhere to be found. By choice, nowhere to be found. It is such a dichotomy of approaches. One of them has feasted in the portal. The other, again, voluntarily, has largely abstained. I think Clemson has one guy from the portal in this, in this cycle. And Florida State has got, got a ton of kids. And they've done it every year virtually that Norvell's been there. And uh, here's what interests me. Florida State has the same odds to win the national championship out of the ACC that Clemson does right now. So this will not be a year for the first time in a long time where we get into August and we're looking and saying, all right, it's Clemson and everyone else over there. Now, odds don't mean anything other than odds, but you know that odds have pretty much, with maybe one or two exceptions, the odds have matched the outcome in the ACC. We did a, we did a little feature the other night about different conferences and how many of their teams had won playoff games. And since 2015, I think the ACC had won six playoff games and Clemson was all six of them. And so now... We get into this world where two teams with very different approaches are being looked at by Vegas and saying, coin flip, you guys can decide. I think they play the game at Clemson. You guys can decide. Maybe that week four game will decide it. Maybe we'll be there. We haven't even named the tour this fall, but maybe we'll be there. Jesse has confirmed via teleprompter that 15-day window for the portal being open does indeed begin on May 1st. Hey, we got a, we got a use for the we got a use for the teleprompter after all. That thing collects dust when our show's in the studio. Uh, They are watching us in Parsippany, New Jersey. Good people in Parsippany. Great people. They're watching us in Palm Coast, Florida and Morristown, Tennessee. Thank you so much for being tuned in. I think one of the most cripplingly disappointing things is when we get a city in Georgia, where I'm from, checking in. And I I mispronounce the name. It happens more often than I'm comfortable with. Like McDonough, Georgia, McDonough, Georgia, McDonough, Cairo, Cairo. It's a tough. It's a tough world to live in here. Uh, Mood tracker time. I got two things to hit for you right here. I got. I got a mood tracker. The mood tracker is one of our most popular segments. The mood tracker is when we just we take the temperature of the fan base and we cut off the extreme ten percent on either side of positive, negative, and we just want to know what the fan base is thinking. And at Georgia right now, I've got the current mood for the fan base as sorry, not sorry, which may be confusing because you're thinking, well, shouldn't the mood just be jubilation? Shouldn't they just be turning cartwheels? They've won back-to-back national championships, and they are doing that. They, they absolutely are. You cannot go very many places in that state. You can't get off an exit off 75 or 85, or even 185 down near Columbus without seeing those flags all over the place. Not that they weren't already there before, but they are especially prominently featured now. So the state is totally drunk on these past two seasons. Having said that, sorry, not sorry. What could I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? Georgia fans, it's your mood. How do you feel right now? About your program, you feel ecstatic. What do you feel about the world around your program? Some of you know where I'm going with this. There's this really interesting dynamic right now that exists around Georgia athletics, Georgia football. But before I talk about that, I want to take you back to last year. This time last year, Georgia was coming off a national championship, much as they are right now. And a couple of things happened that I think benefited Kirby Smart. One is they lost a ton of talent. And the benefit there was his team was so new his, his starters were, were so green in terms of success. I don't think they ever felt like they had accomplished anything. I don't think that they ever allow complacency to set in because the lineup looked so new. But there was another thing that was happening. And the other thing was, there was 10 kinds of chaos happening off the field. Not at Georgia, in college football. There was all kinds of stuff happening with playoff expansion and realignment. And not to mention, you had coaches on the move, the Brian Harson saga, remember that? There was a bunch of stuff that was happening that distracted everyone and took everyone's attention. And so even on this show, we spent probably the least amount of time talking about a national champion as we ever have. Georgia folks think it was because I wanted to neglect them, which is, makes about less sense than anything I've ever heard accused against us. But the reason was, the same reason a bunch of other folks didn't talk about them. There was too much other stuff to talk about. Now, Kirby Smart took that, harnessed it, and realized, if I don't have a bunch of folks heaping praise on my guys, and the guys I'm going to war with this fall in a lot of cases are new, we can avoid a lot of the complacency issues that normally set in. And they did. You couldn't spot a nickel's difference between the desperation and hunger this year's team played with and last year's team played with. That is rare, rare stuff. So now, we're coming off a second national championship in as many years. And lo and behold, there have been some things that have happened off the field that involve Jalen Carter that have caught a lot of attention nationally. I'm totally separating the incident that happened with Jalen Carter's involvement in the incident and the way that's been discussed. So understand that from the outset. The way particularly that some local media outlets in the state, the AJC is what I'm talking about. The way the AJC, which is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, has covered Georgia athletics over the past two months has been borderline weird to me in how out of touch it's been. I'm all for holding the powerful accountable. All for it. There is there is absolutely a role in hard-nosed journalism, in politics, in athletics, if it's done the right way. I don't particularly think the AJC's gone about it the right way. I said on Twitter the other day, the AJC covers Georgia football like they're running against each other in an election. It is the wildest thing. There are the... They're the most whacked out opinion columns that have been put out by that outlet in regards to Georgia and Kirby Smart and how he runs his program in the last month or so that I've ever seen. So you may make many accusations against Georgia, but one you'll never make is, boy, they really get babied by the media down there, don't they? It's just, it's the weirdest thing. And so he spent this spring, Kirby Smart has spent this spring fighting back accusations of culture issues and they don't have their act together over there and they're losing control of the program. Uh, He's the one who is the front-facing member of the organization that walks to the microphone. You don't think those players don't hear that? You don't think that isn't taken personal in that locker room? You don't think that fan base doesn't take that personal? Now there is a response here. I'll go ahead and make it for you since there's no one in the room. Josh, that pales in comparison to a situation where two people lost their lives. It sure does. It sure does. So that's why, again, I'm going to say I'm totally separating what happens now moving forward and what happens in relation to Georgia football's role and Kirby Smart's role in that versus that itself, versus how serious and dire the consequences were with what happened itself. Because the fact is, Terrible things happen sometimes. Isolated terrible incidents can happen. I told you the other day when this this whole culture issue nonsense was was being disseminated by certain media outlets towards Georgia football. Well, they got a culture issue. No, they don't. They got some kids that have done some stupid stuff. And I said then, and I'll say again, the way you can spot the ones with culture issues is programs with culture issues don't have good years. Programs with good culture sometimes have bad weeks. They have bad days. But the ones with bad culture, it's impossible for them to grow something that is long-term and sustainably good. Georgia has done those things. They continue to do those things. They're not going anywhere. And so I've dismissed that, but the fan base hasn't. And so Kirby Smart has, again, gotten someone to fuel his program It turns out that that entity was right down the road in Atlanta, Georgia. He has gotten someone to fuel his program. He has gotten someone to convince players inside those walls that the entire world is against them. And it would shock me if they didn't play with the same fire this fall that they always have. And all the while, that fan base looks around and they listen to folks say, you know, if Jamison Williams would have been healthy in 2021, you guys wouldn't have won that title. Well, if Ohio State makes a field goal, you don't even play for the title last year. And they look at him and they say exactly what they should say, which is, sorry, not sorry. I'm sorry. I am not sorry. It's, it's Vince Vaughn wedding crashers level stuff. Sorry. I'm not sorry. I don't want you to say what he said next. But Georgia football, top of the sport right now. Don't be apologizing. If you're a fan, don't be apologizing for anything. Okay, got one more thing I wanted to hit tonight. It's, a, it's about faith and Texas football. Oh, I hope Trey Scott's watching somewhere. So I got a question that uh, I'll just put it up. I don't have to tell you what it was like. Jimmy from Odessa, Texas asked, Can you tell me why I should have any faith in Steve Sarkeesian when he has not proven he can win? Jimmy, we need to talk about faith for a second. Faith is not waiting for something tangible to be presented to you and then saying, okay, I believe in this thing now. That's not faith. Faith is believing in something before you have seen it. Faith, for instance, earlier today was something that I falsely had when a certain, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I'm very tempted to, a a certain ride-sharing service that also delivers food in the greater Nashville area, I hope I haven't been specific enough, was to deliver our lunch order. I had faith that they would remember Bradley's Sesame Chicken. They did not. So my faith was not realized. And I will henceforth never put faith in them again. I will always second-guess them. And look, maybe, maybe a lot of you want to put faith in Steve Sarkisian at Texas. Maybe he just hasn't shown you enough, and that goes back to the old the old chicken egg thing that I just talked about for a second. There's reason. If you doubt Steve Sarkisian, certainly the model doesn't. The model would like Texas minus three and a half against the Chiefs if they play tomorrow. But the model is dumb when it comes to Texas. We've already established that. The model is not to be trusted. I have no faith in the model when it comes to Texas. But I kind of think I do have a little faith in Sark. But if you don't, and you tell me, Josh, he's two and seven versus top 25 teams in his time in Austin, I've just got to sit back and nod my head. And then if you continue, even though I didn't ask you to, and you say, Josh, he is one and seven in games decided by one possession, one and seven in games decided by eight points or fewer. I, again, have to sit back and go, it's not a bad point. Are you done? Done? Okay. Okay. You're done let me make my points. I know it hasn't been great so far, albeit he did improve last year over year one. That is the definition of progress. But seven to five, not good enough for you. I get it. So here's what gives me faith. And, And I would humbly suggest, Jimmy, what should give you a little faith or at least some hope in things turning around. I still think he's a brilliant tactician. I think he is one of the very best play callers and best designers of offensive football in our game today. Nothing's changed in my opinion there. I think he's got a very talented roster and not the same kind of shallow talent that Texas had before he got there. They have got, they've built from the inside out. They have also hit the portal really well. That receiver core this year if they get what they should get at quarterback, that receiver core could be disgusting. Xavier Worthy, you want a dark horse in the Heisman conversation? At a non-traditional position? Is Xavier Worthy my Devontae Smith of 2023? That's lofty. I don't want to do that to him, but I'll do it anyway. Xavier Worthy with a non-broken hand? What could we get from him? Jordan Whittington? Jordan Whittington is as old as my dad. He's still playing at Texas. A.D. Mitchell? Once a Georgia Bulldog, catching big balls in big games. He's at Texas now. Isaiah Nayer, that's the kid from Wyoming who came in. That's what it sounds like when anyone comes in from Wyoming. And then he got hurt in, in fall camp last year. And we didn't get to see him. All those guys are there. All of them are there. And so we've got all that going for us. I think they got good people in the building. And he's he has acquired a lot of talent at quarterback. Now we'll see which one it ultimately ends up being. chance it's Quinn Ewers. The other thing that I keep reminding you is the year three principle. We've just witnessed it with Mike Norvell. I will continue to hammer this home. Mike Norvell, year one, year two, year three. Hmm. Well, what happened if we punted on him after year two at Florida State? We never would have seen what happened last year. And by the way, just for the record, some people still doubt him now. Some people, every time I speak glowingly of Mike Norvell, they say, well, he lost to all the ranked teams he played last year. What am I supposed to say to that, by the way? I tell you accurately that they were a 10-win team, Jesse, with the bowl game. Weren't they a 10-win team? Okay, I tell you, good for Mike Norvell, good for Florida State. They won 10 games. This is indisputable. This is the sky is blue. This is water is wet. And then someone comes at me and says, well, they, they lost to the ranked teams they played. They lost three games in a row in the middle of the season. That's why I didn't say they went undefeated. I don't even know how to respond to that sometimes. So, yeah, uh, year three for Sark here. I, I am not going to have the kind of blind confidence in them that the model does. But I will have confidence in them. They open against food. Rice comes to town on the 2nd of September. I predict them to win that game. Then they go to Alabama. Oh, Isaiah Nair gets to play a Wyoming in week three. And then you've got Big 12 play. So we'll let it be what it be. As Meemaw would say, Uh, this is the last year. Make it count, Texas. Last year in the Big 12. I think that they'll be okay. I think Sark will be okay. Now, what I did not just say there, which some people heard, what I did not say is, well, Sark will just win a title within two years. There is a lot of room between seven wins and national title. I, I don't think it's outrageous, to claim that Texas may float somewhere in between there. Oh, by the way, 2023 college football playoff title odds amongst Big 12 teams, who do you think's favored? Overwhelmingly, who do you think the favorite is in the Big 12, if anyone were to win a national title? That would be Texas. I appreciate you guys watching the show tonight. Remember, Tuesday night, Tuesday night, we will be live. It's not just Garbage Day in Forts in Georgia. Tuesday is also the date we will have a live show right here on this YouTube channel. And then we'll have the Late Kick Extra pod on Thursday. Also, there is some high stakes ping pong going down in this office this week. And I will probably have news on that front the next time we speak. Until then, for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless.